Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. It's now been over a week since Australia started its COVID vaccine rollout. So how are those who've received the jab feeling about it? Really, it just felt like a flu jab, maybe a tetanus jab. Didn't hurt at all. I feel fine. In terms of the subsequent days after the vaccine, I really had no symptoms whatsoever. Today, we're doing another round of your vaccine questions answered, from overdoses to whether one vaccine brand is better and why we're not vaccinating the kids. On February 22nd, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison sat alongside 84-year-old Jane Malishak from Maryong in New South Wales to officially become the first people in the country to be vaccinated against COVID-19. There you go. Be gentle. There we go. Jane lives in an aged care facility, an area of the community who were impacted greatly by the spread of the virus, with older Australians more at risk of dying from COVID-19. Aged care residents have now joined nurses, doctors, disabled support residents and hotel quarantine workers to be the first group to receive the jab. Australians watched closely as the needles were delivered and as of Monday, March 1st, 33,702 Australians had been vaccinated. In comparison, since the vaccine rollout in the US on December 14, more than 75 million have been administered, with 15% of the population now having received at least one dose. The UK has delivered 20.9 million doses, the Chinese mainland 40.5 million. According to our account, though, the government has already fallen short of its target for the end of February, by just under half, promising at least 60,000 doses would have been administered by now. Tasmania is currently leading the charge, having nearly used up its entire allocation already. The ACT has delivered 84%, New South Wales 74%, the Northern Territory 64%, WA 62%, SA 35%, with Queensland and Victoria lagging, with only 22 and 30% of their allocation having found its way into the systems of their community. The federal government has administered over 70% of its allocation for aged and disability care. Victorian Labor MP Peter Murphy was right there with opposition leader Anthony Albanese to get her jab in those first few days and says it was important for her to show that someone like her, who has other underlying health issues, can get the vaccination and be fine. I have metastatic breast cancer and I'm relatively lucky because it's just in my bones, but I am still on treatment and will continue to be on treatment. So hormone therapy and then another drug which targets the cancer cells to try to stop them from spreading, which means that I am not as immunocompromised as some people that, you know, are in the middle of horrible chemo or something like that, but am a bit immunocompromised, and you are anyway when you've got cancer. 
And as my oncologist said to me, a little bit more susceptible to get COVID, but much less able to fight it off. Now, I didn't volunteer to get the vaccine for myself. I was always going to get it, but I volunteered to do it when Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese and others were doing it because I thought it was a good message that someone who is immunocompromised and has an underlying health issue was also prepared to put her money where her mouth is. Really, it just felt like a flu jab, maybe a tetanus jab. Didn't hurt at all. The poor nurse, she was so wonderful, but she had not experienced, you know, 15 cameras and microphones and TV cameras all at the one time. So she was more nervous than I was, I can tell you. I feel fine. You know, I feel my normal, I'm always tired. I'm always feeling a bit under par because of the treatment I'm on, but nothing additional. I think I said to someone on the Wednesday in Parliament last week when I did a television interview that, you know, Parliament was sitting, so I'm tired and cranky all the time anyway, so you probably wouldn't notice if I had any (laughs) tired and cranky side effects. But in all seriousness, I didn't experience any. Someone else who's also received their first dose is the Quickies COVID-19 correspondent, epidemiologist and infectious disease expert from Canberra's Australian National University, Dr Sanjaya Sananayaka. Doctor, can you talk us through how your vaccination went? How did it feel? I get vaccinated every year for the flu vaccine and it's normally a smooth process and this was no exception. In fact, For the first time, I actually didn't feel the needle go in. So I felt a firm push, but that was about it. And in terms of the subsequent days after the vaccine, I really had no symptoms whatsoever. So it was really a good experience for me. Well, that is good to hear. But let's talk some numbers now. You are one of the now 33,000 Aussies who've already been vaccinated But it seems like we're falling behind on our own targets. Is there a reason why some states might be lagging in dishing out this vaccine, you think? Look, it was always going to start slow so we could iron out the wrinkles in the program. So up till Friday last week, we'd had 30,000 people vaccinated. So I think it's about 6,000 people a day. Now, to achieve our goal of getting that 75% or so of the population vaccinated by the end of October, we need to get that up over 150,000 a day which is going to be a big task, but it is possible, but it will have to be done in a graded manner. And part of that is going to be getting more vaccine supply. And as you know, AstraZeneca had 300,000 of its doses arrive in the last couple of days, which is fantastic. And of course, as we start to roll out the vaccines, it'll not just be in hospitals, but it'll be in GP practices, pharmacies, etc. Now, one of the states that is a little behind in dishing out their allocation is Queensland, but is that linked at all to the overdoses that were administered to a couple of people in aged care? Look, it's hard to say. Certainly once that happened, they would have reviewed the processes and just ensuring that all the processes are up to date and that the people who are administering the vaccines have been trained appropriately. So that might be part of it, but it may just be getting the whole logistics into place. You have to remember this is the biggest public health intervention post-war that we've ever undertaken in Australia and probably worldwide in history. This is the biggest public health intervention we've undertaken, particularly over such a short period of time. Can we talk about that overdose for a second? 
what exactly will an overdose of a COVID vaccine do to you? We've seen no real adverse reaction in the two patients that it happened to, but what would it actually do in essence? Look, if it was likely to do something, it'd just be more of the same reactions that we've been hearing about. So the most common side effects we're hearing with the vaccines for COVID are local reactions, so at the site of the injections and pain and swelling, and then maybe on the day or the day after receiving the vaccine, having a very short flu-like illness, which might last a day or so. So they're the sorts of things you'd look for and might expect if someone got a higher dose. Now, with the Pfizer vaccine, we're getting 30 micrograms in the dose when it's injected into us. But in the early studies, they had different arms of the study where people got different doses and one arm of the study had 100 micrograms. So three and a third times more the dose that people are getting today. And in that study, people largely tolerated that dose, maybe just a few more local symptoms at the site, maybe a bit more fluy, but generally very well tolerated. So we know that an overdose of the current vaccine isn't likely to do much anyway in terms of harm. Let's talk about another version of the vaccines now. We're seeing the Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccine get approved overseas. How does that differ to the Pfizer or the AstraZeneca vaccines? Well, actually, in terms of action, it's very similar to the AstraZeneca vaccine. So it's a virus vector vaccine where you've got a harmless respiratory virus called an adenovirus that is used to carry the DNA of the spike protein in the vaccine, which is then injected into someone. And the body cellular machinery uses that to pump out spike proteins that the immune system recognizes. So it's really an identical type of action to the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now, they're also pushing it, as you said correctly, as a one-dose option. And certainly they've shown that it's over 80% effective at preventing severe and critical disease. That's over quite a few weeks But it will be interesting to see how long that immunity lasts for, because certainly in their older trials, the earlier trials that they did, they actually gave a second dose and found that if you gave a second dose, not surprisingly, you got an even better antibody response. So it may well stay as a single dose vaccine, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being a very good two dose vaccine as well. Now, there seems to be a bit of an issue with which vaccine you get. We know we can't choose, but there seems to be discussion about the Pfizer vaccine is the better vaccine and if you get the AstraZeneca one, it's not as good and then there's a little bit of a tense feeling that I'm not going to get the better vaccine. How do we kind of get over that idea? Right. So this was such an emergency, this pandemic, that the World Health Organization originally said they want a vaccine that has over 50% efficacy. So just 50%. And we were worried we wouldn't even get that at the start. Now, of course, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, have performed so well that we've forgotten that fact because they've got efficacies of 90% plus. But the AstraZeneca vaccine is proving to be good. So it's 70-odd percent after one dose, and if you delay the second dose for more than 12 weeks, they're showing in 
the UK now that it's about 82% efficacious, which is really good. There were some issues around whether enough elderly people received the vaccine to show a difference in their trials, and their trials are still going on, so hopefully we'll get more data on that. But certainly in the earlier studies, we were able to show that elderly people who received the vaccine got high levels of neutralizing antibodies. So it is very likely to work in elderly people as well. So in other words, I would have been very happy to get either vaccine. Israel seems to be leading the way in rolling out their vaccines. More than half of their population's already had their second dose. Do we know if it's actually having an impact on the numbers of people who have COVID in Israel? Are we seeing the results of this yet? Yeah, surprisingly, and quite early, really, we're starting to see drops in markers like hospitalizations in older people who've been vaccinated compared to unvaccinated groups. So we are seeing that. And even in the UK, we're seeing a drop in COVID hospitalizations. And if I'm correct, I think deaths as well in all groups, both vaccinated and unvaccinated. And that's probably because of the number of different measures they put in to try and address COVID. However, even amongst that, there is still a sharper decline amongst those people who've been vaccinated. So At this relatively early stage, we're starting to see an effect that we truly believe is due to the vaccines, which is great. Something that's been coming up quite a bit of late is the fact that we're not vaccinating children. And there was some mention that until we vaccinate children, we're not really covering ourselves from the spread of this virus. Why aren't we vaccinating children and does it have an impact? The great thing about this vaccine program is how quickly it's been rolled out and all the trials that have been done in a quick but not reckless manner. So it's been done really, really well from that point of view. But the disadvantage is that because it's happened so quickly and we've already gone to a global vaccine rollout, there are a couple of groups where we still don't know the answers about safety and efficacy of the vaccine. And pregnant women's one and children are the other. And that's because traditionally, when we introduce an intervention like a vaccine or a medication, we tend to exclude those groups at the start till we make sure the intervention is safe. And then we gradually introduce those groups into the vaccine or medication trials. And in fact, Pfizer has definitely started vaccinating kids in their trial program, so older children. And we'll see how that goes from a safety and efficacy point of view. Look, it's likely to be perfectly fine. There's no reason why it shouldn't be, but we need that trial data. And if you look at Australia's phased rollout, children or people under the age of 18 are in the very last part of the phased rollout. We're saying the end of October, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's right at the end of the year. We should have trial data from the current vaccines about safety and efficacy in children, and they might be able to have them. In terms of the second part of your question, should they be vaccinated? Certainly children, particularly older children, can transmit this infection and can get sick from it. The sickness in all children tends to be much milder. We very rarely get a serious infection, but it certainly can happen, but it's very uncommon. And I think ideally, if they are contributing to some degree of transmission, it would be nice to get them vaccinated. But hopefully by the end of the year, when they're ready to be vaccinated in Australia, we'll have the answer from those clinical trials. 
When is it looking likely that those of us who are not frontline healthcare workers or in aged care or vulnerable with underlying health conditions, when is it looking like we are up for our vaccinations? We keep hearing September, October. Is that likely? You know, I think that as long as we get those daily vaccine numbers up to the levels I was talking about, around 150,000 plus a day, which obviously is a far cry from the five or 6,000 a day that we had last week. But as I said, it was early days. We're trying to iron out wrinkles. We're trying to get more vaccine, which we have now got through AstraZeneca. CSL will start producing many, many hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccine in short periods of time. And we'll have hubs across the nation which will be able to do it. So I think somewhere in that sort of August, September, October, somewhere in there, we should be seeing healthy younger people who aren't in the risk groups, who aren't frontline healthcare workers or aged care workers or hotel quarantine workers getting vaccinated. We've got good public health infrastructure, so I think we can get there. But of course, there'll be challenges. The logistics of getting the vaccine rollout right isn't the only thing the government and health authorities are working on right now. Quite a few recent surveys have found an increase in vaccine hesitancy amongst certain groups, including those in Aboriginal communities. The Northern Territory Health Minister, Natasha Files saying the speed of the rollout has some worried. The COVID-19 vaccine, because it has been developed so rapidly, we have a really important task to reassure the community that just because it's been developed so efficiently, that it's still been through the rigorous testing approval processes and is safe and effective for all Australians, including uh, Territorians that live in remote Aboriginal communities. Sadly, many Aboriginal Territorians, we know they have high rates of chronic disease and underlying illnesses, and that would make them more vulnerable if they were to get COVID-19. So getting the vaccine is our best tool in the long term in going back to the old normal where we could freely travel and we didn't have to worry about hotspot declarations and hopefully at some point we can welcome international tourists. So the really important message is that the vaccine is safe, it's effective, even though it's relatively new, it has been through all the rigorous testing processes, it's approved by the TGA. And so when the vaccine comes to your community, please step up, get vaccinated, uh, and that will keep us all safe. We haven't seen community transmission. We haven't seen any COVID-19 deaths in the Northern Territory, but we're only one case away from potential community transmission. So complacency has been a factor the whole way through. We don't want that community transmission. We want to be in this envied position, but at the same time that it is an ever real threat. And the same would come with the vaccine, that just because we haven't seen the virus in the Territory doesn't mean that we shouldn't get vaccinated. But as always, if you have any concerns about the COVID vaccine in relation to your own health needs, make sure you go speak to your GP first to make sure you've got all the correct info. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by Siobhan Moran-McFarlane and myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And have you caught up with our mates Em and Lucy on The Undone yet? They recently discussed something that many of us have faced at one time or another, and that's the decision to sleep with a colleague, maybe a neighbour, or generally someone who may make life a little complicated if it doesn't end well. I think you need to forecast the awkwardness afterwards and think, how awkward is this going to be on Monday morning after the Christmas party on Saturday? And that should turn you off enough to not want to have sex with them. Like for me, if I had had this kind of 
foresight before I had sex with a neighbour. Now I have to see him in Woolworths with his new girlfriend. I have to see him when he waits for his coffee at the same place as me and I use a fake name because I don't want them to call out Lucy. Like, all of these things... (laughs) All of these things have happened because I just had one shitty one-night stand. Catch The Undone in your podcast app now. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.